I meant to mention this before we're on YouTube. Reception of new members is at the late service. We have three households coming in today. Um, and uh, one of them is actually here uh, this morning. Titus, you can hear him singing in the back. But we'll welcome them at the late service. That's why that's there. If you grab that Bible in front of you and get to the book of Ephesians, it's kind of near the back. If you've got a large print, I can tell you it's page uh, 1159. Uh, but I can't tell you for the other ones. I should have done that. 976. Thank you, Darwin. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're just going to hover over this thing. I'm going to try to talk about the sections, the sections. Uh, what is Paul trying to say throughout this book? And I want to give you some sections to consider reading this week. And the first one that you can just grab all by itself is verse 3 through 10, right off the bat. So we're going to skip over his introduction. Hi, I'm Paul. We could talk about that. There's a lot there. But let's just look at 3 through 10. This is all about the idea of predestination, predestination. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That means you're sitting here right now because before God created the universe, he knew you. He had you in his mind. And he chose to both create you, watch you choose to hate him, love you anyway, and buy you back by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is not your choice, as so many Christians think. And as a result, their consciences are plagued as they wonder if they've given enough of their heart to Jesus. This text says, no, blessed be God because he chose you. And the way you know this, well, you're sitting here listening to the proclamation. He sent me to talk to you. If you didn't plan to be here to hear that today, that doesn't matter. He moved the whole universe to make you hear he chose you. Let there be no mistake about this, right? In love, verse 4 and 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus according to the purpose of his will. His will, not our will. Predestination. You'll hear people talk about destiny all the time, and they like to make it up. I have a great destiny. Maybe they even name their kid destiny. Predestination. Destiny just means it's even better. It's from the very beginning, you have a destiny, and it's in Jesus. It's to rise from the dead and to sing his name in a paradise which lasts forever and ever, where suffering and death have vanished, and friendship, fellowship, family go on and on. This will, verse 6, be to the praise of his glorious grace. By grace you have been saved. That means it's a free gift. Grace is a free gift to the praise of his grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's a word for Jesus. Jesus is God's own beloved son. In him, verse seven, we have redemption through his blood. So he dies on that cross as a lamb without spot or blemish. Before him, all sacrifices God required were in fact oxen, bulls, sheep, lambs, turtle doves, he didn't ask for human sacrifice. He never wanted human sacrifice because it's not enough. What's enough 
is the son of God as a man being sacrificed so that the blood running down from that cross is not just a man's blood. It's God's blood. God doesn't have blood. He didn't. He didn't. And then he became incarnate, that's infleshed in the womb of Mary, according to God's, again, predestination for us, for you. So that that holy blood running down from his hands, his feet, his face, his side, that all was shed so that he could say, take and drink. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And so that today, again, you can be reminded, this isn't pie in the sky. This isn't far away theory. This is a meal that God instituted and God sees, and those who eat it, he sees not you anymore, but the body and blood of the Lord Jesus in you, which doesn't get rid of you, it redeems you. Yes, in him we have redemption, purchase through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. I mean, raise your hand if you ever have a guilty conscience. Come on, everyone should put it up. You, no, you guys never have guilty consciences. Come on, I'm waiting. Put them up, put them up right? That's because you do bad stuff. You do. You think bad stuff. You do bad stuff. You're not murderers and thieves and adulterers, but you are bent. And some of you are. He forgave you. You're forgiven. The trespasses are gone now according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Jesus, that's the mystery. That's the plan. We're all wandering around searching for some answers. And he says, I've got it planned from the beginning. You messed it up. I'm diving in, I'm taking it on my shoulders, and I'm taking you all out. That's the plan. That's the mystery. That's the fullness there, all right? So that's Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Your predestination in Jesus. Verses 11 through 14, we'll talk more about inheritance and the Holy Spirit. We're going to go ahead and go past that. Right. Paul will talk in verses 15 through 23. He lays in some body language about how we are a body. We're going to come back to that at chapter 5 this morning instead of doing that here. But now chapter 2 again. He gets into this apologetic. No, it's not a defense. He gets into this offense. Offense of grace. Yeah, Offense is an interesting word, isn't it? Like if I were to give you offense, that means you're not really happy with me. And yet, this is near and dear to my heart, when I step onto a basketball court, I like playing defense, I like playing offense. And if you're a team of any sport and you never play offense, well, guess what happens? You lose, that's right. Christianity is not on defense. We are here to offend people, how? By declaring that all of us deserve to burn in hell because we're wicked jerks. And saying that only one man in all history is different than that because he's God. And yeah, that's scandalous. What did I say to you this week, Meredith? Did I tell you I'm jealous of Jesus? I learned this amazing thing about Jesus, and this, I can't give it to you today. We don't have enough time. I was at a pastor's conference. This great story about how cool Jesus is, and I found in my heart jealousy of the life he got to live. I had to hit my head and say, that many you know, crucifixion, Jonathan, you really want that? No, Jonathan, I don't really want that. Okay, good. Let's stop being jealous of Jesus. But that's the fact. All of us would rather be the center of the universe. All of us would rather be our own gods. That's our problem, yeah? He won't let that happen. Ah, 
I got a little off there. Chapter 2, then, is going to be about how the grace of this, the forgiveness of this, is all something he lavishes. It's not earned, right? You were, though, I was just talking about this, 2 verse 1, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience. We could talk a lot about what the prince of the power of the air means, but the short of it is, there's a devil, a demon, a great arch evil one. There's many other small ones that he pulled with him out of heaven. But he is what the Bible calls the prince of this age, the prince of this world. So when you look out at all the stuff going on on the news, you say, what's going on? What evil people could be planning all the things we see? Don't assume it's people. Don't assume it's people. The devil's out there moving everything in order to deceive as many people away from Jesus Christ as possible because he has no hope. He only has malice and wrath, death and hell for himself. That's why it's scary to watch so many churches unable to stay open at this time. No matter how you want to look at the politics of what's going on, it is clear Christianity in America is taking a massive hit right now, publicly. Massive hit. Many Christians are choosing to no longer come to their churches at all. I can tell you that of those who we have lost over the course of 2020 and 2021, whether they just stopped coming or whether they transferred somewhere else, they stopped coming in 2020 when we shut down. Those who are the ones who have left. You who have come in some way, you all stay. Why is that? It's because when you get a sheep away from the herd, the wolf can pick him off. Should I say it again? You get a sheep away from the herd, the wolf can pick you off. Yeah? The prince of the power of the air. Such were some of you. Such is the devil who runs this place. Such are those running around in fear all this time. But, 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 right? But, but, but. Four. Chapter four. Two verse four. But God, not chapter four. Chapter two. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I just have to stop there. How could he love us? How? We're so wretched. We're so evil. Just abortion alone. One-third of my generation. One-third of my generation aborted. He loves us. He loves us. How? That's what he is. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, verse 5, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Right? There's that emphasis on grace. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to move on again here into chapter 3, where Paul continues writing. He says, I'm a prisoner. We know this letter is written from prison, possibly from Rome. Yeah, back to Ephesus, where he had previously taught. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you, non-Jews, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. In all of Paul's letters, he will often reference his conversion in some way, and you get a little bit of it there. And I'm going to skip verse 4, verse 6 here. This mystery... And we've already been introduced to this, that everything's in Jesus. Everything's brought together in Jesus. This mystery is that the nations, us, are also fellow heirs. We get to be part of this. For so long, the Hebrew people thought it was just for them. Yeah. 
And Paul, that's why he wanted to kill Stephen. That's why he wanted to stop what was going on. That's why Jonah didn't want to preach in Assyria. That's why we don't want to give bags to the poor people. They don't deserve it, do they now? Uh-huh. Uh, but the mystery is God doesn't care about whether or not you deserve the grace. God just wants to give grace. And that's why Christians learn to be like him. Learn to see that even though you might give that packet to somebody who will never ever do anything good the rest of their life with it. They'll throw out the Sons of Solomon packet, which would change their life. They'll sell the food and they'll buy drugs. That's not your problem. Your problem is not a problem. Your problem is the gift of not caring and loving him anyway. Loving her anyway. Because that's what grace does. That's who your father is. That mystery is that we are all brought into Christ. And of this good news, verse 7, the gospel, I, Paul, was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Yeah. Let's skip down to verse, um, let's see, I want to make sure verse 10. Mm. Verse 10 is very important, uh, but it's in the middle of this big sentence here too. So I'm going to start at 9. He is working to bring to light... Notice the light versus darkness motif. That'll come back later. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So there's this mystery. What is that? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All right. This is such a powerful idea. The next time you ask God, why? Ephesians 3 verse 10 is your answer. So that through you, the angels might learn about God's grace. You follow? So that through us, all the heavens might know God's so good, he saves. Which, without our fault, would just have to be something he said. And the angels, of course, would believe but now they get to see it. And they get to see it demonstrated amongst their own as well. Yeah, Chapter 3, verse 10. Through us, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Rulers and authorities, like the devil. He's getting to know this too. He doesn't like it. But don't miss that with the devil and that one-third of angels that fell out of the sky, as Revelation tells us, there's two-thirds still on our side. Still on your side. And when you are baptized into Christ, when you're put into his body, you know what they see you as? Members of the Son of God. We're above them now in Christ. It doesn't mean we walk around and command them what to do. We say, Jesus Christ, send out your power, and those angels fight for us, just like of old. Just like of old in Israel, where those fiery beings came down and walloped Assyria, not once, but twice. For the sake of us, for the sake of us. All right, so that's chapter 3, verse 10. It's just a really essential line there. For the sake of our time this morning, I'm going to move us ahead to chapter 5. There's a lot of great stuff in chapter 4. But chapter 5 is about us being a body together. We're going to start here at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For, For because of these things, that's a bunch of sins he was just talking about adultery and whatnot. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, 
For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to speak of the things that they do in secret. Mm. I'll just leave that there. Things are getting worse, what they're doing in secret these days. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. The goal here is your own heart. Your own heart being exposed by the light of the word of God to you, that you might see its need, and then might also hear about how good he is that he has met that need in Jesus. Yeah? Therefore, it says, verse 14, that, quote, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The days are evil. You ever see that life is good bumper sticker? It's, it's kind of true. It's not all wrong, but it needs the days are evil right with it. God made life good. But our days are evil right now. So make the best use of the time. Verse 17, don't be foolish. I've encouraged you. And if you're a son of Solomon, you've picked up that prayer packet. You're working on it. You read one proverb a day and you make a note on it. Why? Because it's promised you'll not be a fool if you do that. It's promised the wisdom of God will inhabit you. It's promised the Holy Spirit will be your identity inside of you to make you a son. Do not be foolish. Understand the Lord's will. Talks about drunkenness and how distracting that is. But what we want is to be filled up with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We heard this just a couple weeks ago as we looked at the book of Psalms. It's a command. Pray the Psalms. They're good for you. Giving thanks to always to God for everything. Verse 20. In the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that part there about submission is pretty key for what remains in the book, okay? So submission, it's the idea that there's one who's over and there's one who's under. Huh? And in theory, we should always rejoice to submit to our leader. We should always rejoice to bow down before our parent. We should always be glad that whatever authority comes has been sent by God to give us leadership and guidance. Of course, as you know, that's not quite how it always works whether for ill or good on both sides. We have wicked rulers and we ourselves have wicked hearts. But that doesn't give us the right to reject this order, to reject the idea that God does like order and he built it a certain way. And so chapter five, the remainder is gonna talk about that order in detail. I'm not gonna go through it verse by verse here, but chapter five, verse 22 through 33 is about the chief order of creation which is man and woman. Something our country is very confused about these days. Doesn't really believe these things even exist. They're just figments of our imagination we made up. Tell me how an evolutionary biologist can say that. I don't know, but they do. That's how disconnected everybody's thoughts are. They can't think in straight lines. They're just staring at a screen all day. Ah, rah, rah, rah. Then they just repeat it. Ah, rah, 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 repeat. Ah, rah, 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 repeat. And you're like, but you just said something that yesterday you said was wrong. No, I didn't. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, because their brain's turned off. Their brain's turned off. Yours is not. You've been awakened by Christ. You don't have the right to turn it off again. You have to see the distinction between man and woman. It's becoming more and more evident. Chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, if you'd like to read this this week, is the absolute 
chief and center place of the scriptures talking about this idea. Man was formed first, and he is made to be head of his wife, not to harm her, but for her good. She was formed second as a helper suitable for him, because it's not good for man to be alone. And so God wants more, hence babies as well. All of that right there. Now, historically, this has been one of those texts that many Americans, even conservative American Christians, have said, yeah, but that's old. That's what they used to think back when they were stupid. Not like us. We're so much smarter. See, I got this phone I can stare at while I sit against the wall all day. So I'm smart now, like the phone. And so those old people who thought men should be over women in the marriage, they're just idiots. The problem is, I mean, it's destroying our country first, but, but just keep reading the text. What you find is that Paul's encouraging submitting one to another in an order created by God. He doesn't stop with man and woman. The next one is about chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. And then go down further, verse 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children. So why is this important? If you're going to reject the order of man and woman in Ephesians 5, you must also reject the order of parent and child. That is, the parent's not in charge, the child is. Now I ask you, pay attention next time you're done with a sports practice or a game, watch how everybody's acting and see if the kids aren't, in fact, in charge. That's how crazy it's getting right now. That's how bad it is out there. And then here you have in verse 5, it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. That just means you also are going to have a boss somewhere. Yeah? And is he going to be great? Not necessarily. Yeah? But it's your task to be the best employee you can be. Of course, those are harder to find these days too, right? There's a great worker shortage. So they say. Hmm. Masters, verse 9, do the same. Stop threatening. Know that your master is their master, and he's not partial. What that means is if you are a person with authority, a father, a husband, a mother over the children as well, a boss over anybody, a leader in the community, it always means this. Your power has been given by grace to you from above so that you might show grace to those who are below. All authority is given down Not for the one who gets it, but for the one who is further below still. This whole section is a treatise on that. I again really encourage you, if you want to read part of it, 5.22 through 33 is, is the epitome there. But if you take nothing else from today, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Go read it this week again. I'm going to give it to you now. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You say, how? He's going to tell you. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul says, and also for me, that the words may be given to me, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I love that last part because you see, as humanity, in the book of Acts, Paul's a fearless dude. He was going to go into this stadium, the stadium that the riot at Ephesus happens in. I haven't told you most of that story today. But there's a stadium where they take these two Christians, a mob of idol worshipers, and they go in, and they're going to try to have them killed. Paul wants to go in. He's not there. He's like, I'll go in. And the other Christians are like, no, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. And they end up dispersing the riot, and there is no one killed that day, although later Paul will have this happen again. But his, you see his conviction there, his boldness. And yet you see in this verse, he's human too. Pray for me because you know what? In those moments, I'm not so sure. Pray for me because afterwards, I question and I doubt and I don't know if I've done enough. Pray for me because I'm still a sinner, he says. But let's go back to that armor of light as we end this thing here. What is that armor of God? How do I put it on? The belt of truth. Girdle it about your waist. What does that mean? It just means there's such a thing as truth. There are things that don't change. What we say as Christians about man and woman is not old-fashioned. It's ancient reality. Huh? And everyone else who's wanted to do something else, they don't have any truth around their waist. They have fantasy. Fantasy. They're living in a dream world. And it will blow back on the wicked. It will. Make no mistake. So for you, know there's truth and stand on the certainty of such a thing. Yeah? The breastplate of righteousness Hear that as the justification of the sinner in the eyes of God by Jesus' blood, right? Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my glorious dress they are. That breastplate covers you like a complete, what, protection from all things. Shoes for your feet, readiness given by the gospel of peace. Remember when I wore the red shoes? Yeah, I like to think about it as like the fiery feet. My feet were ready, ready to go tell the gospel. Um, that's the idea, is that, if you have to make a decision about life and you get to see it clearly and it's good, Jesus, truth, and it's ah, probably not, your feet want to be ready for the good. You want to seek it. You want to run toward it. Yeah. It's not easy for me on Sunday morning to get up and want to come to church. I'll tell you, it's my job. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, a morning like everybody's got to deal with to get out of bed and all this. It's hard to get the energy. But that's not a reason to stop. And that's not a reason to ask God to give you that zeal. To desire to be here more than to be away from here. Because here again is light. And out there again is, is darkness. Yeah. So have your feet be ready to find more Jesus. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. This is the first thing you get to use. Your faith is a gift God gave you to use. You exercise it. How? By opening the Bible and telling yourself it's true. Finding the verses that encourage you and reminding yourself of them. Using your faith to make your heart and your tongue speak out loud the truth so you don't forget it. And that way, when the lies of the devil, the flaming darts come at you, you can turn it away. Guilty conscience. Jesus couldn't possibly love a sinner like me. Oh yeah? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. There you go. Shield. Knock that arrow down. Got to practice with your shield, though. Got to practice, just like with the sword, which comes up here in a moment. He says, that is the word of God. 
So the word of God is shield and sword. Shield for defense. We already talked about it. Sword for offense, right? Piercing the heart, splitting the soul in two, having a common word that's so reasonable and true that the person you're speaking to just can't deny it. It's just so obvious, yeah? Have that sword. Learn that sword. Of course, the helmet of salvation I skipped over. Think of that as your baptismal waters. I like to imagine it's like made of blue glass with glowing sparkly fire coming out of it all over my head. You can't see it, but it's there and the angels see it. So when you walk into Woodman's or walk into downtown Rockford and you're moving around down there, you can't see, but every Christian down there has glowing blue helmets on their head or something like it. Yeah, the actual promises of God to you, distinguishing you from the rest of the world. So when the demons see that you coming, they actually know who you are. Yeah, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. You Jewish exorcists, who are you? Yeah, that's not you. You got that helmet. It's been put on you. Yeah. So at all times, take this up. It leads to prayer. Huh? Peace to you. He ends the book with, but um, a bit of a. <laughs> Not the best conclusion right there. I'll try to come up with something short and succinct. Uh, The certainty that you have in this, right? We went from predestination to grace to a new, old, better, forever, redeemed order to the fact that you stand in armor arrayed with light against the darkness that cannot pass away. Your light cannot pass away in Jesus Christ. The book of Ephesians. Hopefully you've pulled a piece out of it this week to go look at. Consider again hearing the rest of the story at that late sermon on YouTube. And in other words, let us prepare our hearts now to embrace the fullness of this glory in the body and blood of our King who comes to us according to his promises. In Jesus' name, amen.